Five book club members. I'm Jen. And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 108, and our book is The Rose in Darkness by Dany Ware. It tells the story of Sister Augusta as she goes to reclaim a relic from the planet Opal. We posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversations via YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read the book, definitely check it out before listening to this post as we'll be discussing the book from start to finish in great detail. With that, let's dive in. As always, Carrie, did you like the book? I loved it. Like, this is like another oh, contender for book of the year, I'm telling you. Like, <laughs> this hit me in all the good, all, that sounds dirty, all the right places. <laughs> Would you like to show me on the doll where the book touched you? No. Um, <laughs> when you said that you were crying, you finished the book before I did. And I loved this book. But you were like, oh, it had me crying at the end. And I was like, okay. And then at the end, I was sitting there in bed last night. And I was just like, oh, no. I had the feels. It got me right up in my feels. I, You know what the biggest thing that I thought at the end of this book? Oh, Finally. A good sister's book. And we're going to dive into that a lot later um, because you and I have strong I think it, feelings. Do you mean on like this. the best sister's book? So good. Danny Ware just like knocked it out of the this park. This is actually the, her very first. This is the very first Order of the Bloody Rose novel because yes. it's been short stories and novellas, which shout out to Discord member Raptor for telling me, I don't know how important it is, but. There is a kind of a prequels of short stories. It's called The Rose at War. You might might want to look at. Maybe not. Maybe not. And I was like, why not? So glad I did because I loved every second of that. And then to have the, you know, Morris, you know, Sister Superior Augusta in this. It's perfect. Exactly what I needed. I loved it. I have been keeping up with all of her short stories. Um, even the one from the, because I had sought it out, she did. She might have done two, even for the advent calendar. So when she kept talking about the orcs in here, I was like, oh, I've read that story. I've read, I, I love them. And I was so excited for this book when she said that she was, when they said that she was doing this big novel that was starring Sister Augusta. So excited because the stories, her short story collections are so good. But you and I have talked a lot about this, that sometimes authors are very good at short stories and novellas, but that doesn't necessarily translate into a novel. John French. Sorry. Allergies. I, I feel that. Uh, um, I, according to you, I disagree on that one. Um, but they, I, um, I, I thought it was great. It was so good. And it actually, despite, here's the thing that's kind of funny about this book, is despite being like 300 pages, there was not a lot of filler in here. Like there was nothing I where I was just like, like, oh, the chase. I think I read this like in three days. Yeah, it's, um... It's just a really good book. So before we dive into our questions, what part stood out to you? Oh my god, what a lot. Honestly, I feel that there is so much in this that really I'm gonna pull up my notes. So much that made me like think of like other things. Uh that sounds stupid, but I mean just it would make <laughs> me go on these uh thought, you know, rails where I would just be thinking like, oh my gosh, this is kind of calling back to this, like so, for example, when Camilla, you know, when she won her bouts and she got like a day pass to go hang out at the festival and she's her walking through and she's seeing just the abhorrent wealth 
and how it's not even a festival for the masses. Honestly, but the first thing I thought was Jesus came to the temple in Jerusalem and was docking over the tables and saying, "You, this is my father's house and you've turned it into a den of thieves. So it's to be a celebration of the saint who sacrificed himself to save the planet and you guys have made it a den of thieves. There, you know, you're saying certain pilgrims can't come through, which is kind of like the Jews and the Gentiles. You're saying... Um, you're claiming that you have very specific, like, finger bone relics, which, I'm sorry, Warhammer 40k, ew. Like, I don't know what you guys have with these finger bone relics, but they're obviously fake. It, exactly. It's easy and small, right. and it's but, I mean, easy it just, to fake. It makes you think of, like, there's been other sisters' novels we've read, but they talked about preserving the finger bones. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, y'all are weird. But, no, but, but the fact that they, he had, like, you know, 20 to sell, obviously they're, they're not, that's fake. Um, because you've been doing this for how long now, right? Mm -hmm. So that was like the the first thing that kind of really like kind of called 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 to me there, but and also just of course you know this the theme of pride, like it just seemed to really like encapsulate everything I hate about the ecclesiarchy, all in one the wealth. That we're supposed to be here for the people, and yet we got all those poor people on the outside that we're not catering to because <laughs> poor people don't matter, you know. Well, and they call that to task on page, um, because that was one of the things that I first one, the things that I really loved was I think it's on page oh, 06. Yeah, I wrote it down where Augusta yeah. laid down the truth bombs, right? Well, it's the canon S because they go through, and the priest is just like, What have we done wrong? and the canon S is like, Seriously. Like, this is what you've done wrong. This is this is abhorrent. You left these people to die, to starve. You intentionally starved them sometimes. I And their whole so thing this, was like, well, that wasn't our intention. She's like, it wasn't. It wasn't. Really, like, like, you really. guys have lived in this bliss for the last, what, 804 years? And, you know, it's something that we've kind of talked. Oh, I remember the other thing that this really made me think of. Uh, Adrian um, Tchaikovsky's book. I can't remember the name of it, but you, but you know what? Day I mean? of Ascension. Thank you. But when you have this group of people that are oppressing another group of people for so long, no wonder the gene stealers are just like, "Hey, we have a god for you." <laughs> oh, and we're gonna dive a lot into that because we've really seen that a lot lately. But this book. I don't know if Dini Ware has seen Paranorman, but this tapped in to, there was a theme in Paranorman that I really like. If, if you haven't seen Paranorman, by the way, it's an amazing movie. But there's this theme in that movie that really, going back to your initial point about them selling like the finger bones and stuff, right? Like your whole planet, your planet is famous because of this saint, Varus, who was on there and his, and you know, other saints on there as well. But the idea the home that of the one million saints, the idea that this person laid down their life in a tremendous heroic sacrifice to stop this tremendous evil, right? Like this was a truly selfish or selfless act and a great act and just all this horror and violence that surrounds it and you're hawking bullets. And you're hawking finger bones. And, you know, like, it's become this commercial thing. And in Paranorman, they really thumb their nose at the whole Salem witch trials thing. And how 
Salem, Massachusetts has made an entire tourism industry off of this. And spo- off of spoiler, off of when spoiler we alert, women alive. Yeah, spoiler alert. Uh, those women weren't actually witches. Right. Um, and even though I know that the number of witches who was bur- who were burned was very like minuscule, it was not even in the dozens. Um, it's still like. You still horrible women alive. I mean, the crucible. If you've read the book, the crucible from high school, like that was a real thing. Yeah, you know, I mean, we you know, ruined lot. Like you said, that's not dozens of people, but that was still more people that should have been who were called witches because because they could. They could read. Um, well, no, it's like it's it, it, and, and we've turned this entire like cottage industry into this and like this marketing opportunity and so every time they would talk about like oh we have to have this big celebration because look how awesome we are and it also i know that i keep referencing gray gardens on this podcast especially when we're talking about like the drukari or the eldari and how they're reliving this past glory but that's another theme that i always find very interesting and this book tapped into it and there's i, I there's like a bunch of scenes in here but where they're just like our people have done X, Y, and Z, and we're heroic, and we're important to the Imperium. Oh, like every single it's time- It's been a spell? Every time Cosma talked, you mean? Yeah, and it's like, it, it, even at the end there, when the Canoness is welcoming Camilla, and she's like, you're the first woman from Opal to join our, our in three millennium. Three millennia! Yeah. Uh, it's been a spell, since you guys were relevant and important, and really what you've done is you've just fallen back on- the idea, which we're going to talk a lot more about later, too, um, because there's some very interesting things that go on in the Imperium. And not to well, say this, but I think they're kind of that, that the canon has talked about on page 206, where she's just like, you guys made you guys did your tithes. The bare minimum, the bare minimum. I did and, like that. And but you didn't but you don't have anything else. You don't have any chief export. You don't you don't. You don't send your people. You don't. Have, you don't send your people to be part of a net to not. What's to say? National Guard, the Imperial Guard, or the Astra Militarum. Sorry, I'm listening to a lot of Caiaphas Kane. Uh, Astra Militarum. You just don't do anything else but s- sit back and rest your laurels on. But we had the saint. Well, you know what? You're not the only planet that had a saint. I hate to tell them, but they're basically the Uncle Rico of Imperial planets. Could have thrown this football over that damn mountain. Exactly. Like, oh, we had a saint once. That's real neato. And that was it. And millennia ago, for starters. Millennia. Yeah. So not just, this wasn't just 804 years ago. This was millennia ago. And um, and in true Imperium fashion, what have you done for us lately? That's the big thing. And especially with the Imperium, like, what have you done for us lately? Oh, is it really not a lot? Hmm. We did our tithes. The bare minimum. Cool. Yeah, that's real neato. You and every other planet. It um so let's dive in here because you and I have really struggled with the Sororitas in the past. And there's a lot of stuff that stood out in here about the sororitas that I absolutely loved. And I will start on how these sisters were better and different. Um, It's actually in the very end. It is on page 296. When the canoness is talking to Augusta and she says, you refused your own martyrdom in order to save as many as you could. You were blessed and guided by his light to complete your mission and to save the little, the life of sister Akemi. 
you refused your own martyrdom to save as many as you could. One of the things that you and I have talked about as a theme with the Adeptus Sororitas is this idea that they are so eager to martyr themselves that it almost comes across as wasteful because they're so eager to throw themselves at things and to get killed. And it's like, wait, how about you take a step back and ask yourself, is that really serving the greater good or is that serving your own vanity for being a martyr? So I loved the idea that the canoness is like, oh, good job, by the way, for not just wasting your life and actually trying to save people of the Imperium. Well, that was something I picked up from the, um, the Rose at War as well, was that unlike other sisterhoods, I felt like they took a death very personally. Like it was more than just, you know, oh, she martyred herself. She's at the emperor's light. I mean, that's why they kept saying, blessed be her memory, because they really took it into themselves. You know, I like the fact that Kaya actually was mourning um, Malia in this. Uh, and and the Rose at War, you know, when um, when Augusta lost her best friend, I can't remember her name right now, but she lost her best friend. She, uh, you know, yes, bl blessed be her memory, but she never once thought it should have been me or, you know, um, is a good thing that she martyred herself. No, that was never a thing. And the other thing I liked, because they talked about this in the Rose at War, was that the Repentia is not something to aspire to. I did like their reaction to the Repentia in this. When they see them, they're just like, Ugh. And I did like, I mean, they do acknowledge that story with the Inquisitor where they're just like, oh, that was almost us. Right. But, and they recognize that they serve a purpose within their style of war, right? But I like that every single one of them had a visceral reaction to them of like, no, thank you. Well, and it made them uncomfortable. To them, the repentia was an actual punishment. Whereas right. there was, which should have been, right? But we've yeah. seen so many other orders where they're just like, I'm just not worthy. I should be in the repentia. Oh, just go cry me a river. Again, it's, it's this oddly, I think I figured that out. I think this is my complaint with a lot of the sisters that we see. It is very navel gazy and self-centered. Um, the whole willing to throw yourself into martyrdom, right? There's actually a type of vanity and selfishness there because, again, you're not thinking about, well, what could I be doing in his name? No, no, no. I'm just thinking about me becoming a martyr to be his glory. And it there's also that piece with the repentia of this idea of like, oh, look at me, look at me. It's It's very perverse version of it but yeah it's just it is weird wanting to be a martyr i'm sorry e egomaniacs want to be martyrs yeah and it's uh it's very off-putting and i think the fact that so many of the sisters are constantly we're not worthy we're not worthy and i think and i yeah this is actually these ladies they don't even talk about it Nope. We have a job to nope. do. The only thing that Augusta really struggled with, and we'll, this will kind of dovetail into my next question here about Augusta, was the only thing that she really waffled about, and she probably should have, was that she had kind of lost control 
of her squad, right? right? So like in the very beginning when they go to talk to the governor and Alcinta comes in and she's, Alcina comes in and she's just like, uh, excuse you. And she's like, don't you ever do that again. And then Viola, right? They constantly talk about how Viola's temper and Viola's temper, we get to see it too, which was Chekhov's temper. That was nice. Um, I did appreciate that they made the ginger very, very fiery and uncontrollable. Yeah, yeah, she's angry because she doesn't have a soul. Very fiery. I was like, nice. Nice. I see what you did there. Um, But that was probably the only thing with these sisters on the whole where they really questioned themselves. And it was really just her. She's just like, oh, man, I have lost command of my, my, my people. But... I think it's also at the end of the day from the, get the job done. war. She knows she's on thin ice half the time with the canonists anyway. Mm-hmm. Which, if you've read all of the short stories that are in the Rose at War, it is really nice because then it, the fact that the canoness is like, no, you did a good job. Like you, you done good. I thought that was a really nice payoff to mm-hmm. that. That yes, the canoness does. She is on thin ice with the canoness. The canoness gets very frustrated with her, but she recognizes her value. Oh, yeah. I, and honestly, I think the canoness was always so hard on her because she expected more out of her, to be totally honest. Like, if she really 100%. if she really was frustrated with her to the point she's disgusted with her, she would have thrown her in the Repentia. Right, exactly. I think it was always just, I always got the impression that her disappointment was more like your disappointment with your child. Right. Or with a student, right? Like a teacher-student relationship of... I expect better of you. Right. And, but she does recognize that Augusta has a ton of value and that she is a very vital part of the emperor's plan. Not only that, but this, but this was supposed to be a quick and easy mission and quickly spiraled into, it's not. Like almost a Caiaphas Kane style. You know, we, we go into a it planet. Is. We go into this planet. I'm, because I'm reading a whole lot of Guy of his game, but we're going to play it with this one mission. It's like, oh, by the way, this is also here. <laughs> it, um, yeah, it, it is now that you say it, it is kind of Caiaphas Kane esque because, yeah, they show up and are just like, yeah, we're just here to take your skull. And then suddenly, gene stealers. It's a problem with gene stealers. You never expect them. So let's go into Augusta Actually, and her she squad. That guy, a Xenos gene stealer, I was like, there's supposed to be gene stealers in this book, and then I finally flipped it around, read the back, I'm like apparently, okay, cool, let's let's. Well, I okay, so I knew there were gene stealers because I remembered that from the description. But when they described the guy having the the tattoo, Henrik having the yeah. tattoo on his neck, I was like, oh god, there they are. I was kind of hoping every time they talk about the gene stealers, I kind of low key pray for a Kazarkin situation where it was like, oh, it's the Touch. Just kidding, it's the Nids. Or sorry, it's the uh, it's the Necrons. Necrons. Just kidding. Um, I always kind of hope for that. They're going to do like a bait and switch. And like, it's Gene Stealers. Just kidding. It was chaos. Um, no, no, it was the Gene Stealers. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But um, poor Augusta. She's just like, I'm just getting the skull and then I'm leaving. And as soon as they were like, but you can't stop the festival. It was like, here we go. See, again, because I didn't know there was going to be Gene Stealers. Honestly, what I thought was that we're going to have this thing of just like asshole ecclesiarchy because seriously, it, for me, could have gone either way because I could totally see 
this guy being like, you can't stop the festival. I've been preparing my whole life for this. This is my moment. Totally see an ecclesiarch being like that. 100%. And even a planetary governor is like, look at these rich people. We got to have the money keep flowing. Let's be real. You know, and the fact that Cosmo was like, um, my blades can handle this. They're like, yeah, have they done anything but besides fight each other? That's not the point. The point. Uh, that's can, not the point right now. They can handle anything. We don't need your help here. You don't need to. T- you don't need to take the skull. Um, that's honestly, I was like, that makes sense to me. You know, a rebellion totally makes sense against you know, the fat ecclesiarchy. Makes sense to me. I'm here for this. Oh, gene stealers. Gene stealers. Suddenly gene stealers. Again, nobody expects the gene stealers. Okay, it's like, Um, maybe I'm kind of here for it. I was like, man, why is it always gene stealers? And then I was here for it. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit about Augusta and her squad. Um, Because there's a lot of different personalities going on here. There's a lot of different things going on. Did you like them? Is I know we talked about how she's kind of lost control. Is she a good leader? Did you like their interactions? She is. I think Alcina's a bitch. I thought that when she first kind of came on back at the the Rosa at War. Um, like, I was actually surprised she stayed with them. I was like, why are you still here? <laughs> you you already served your purpose. You don't get along with anybody. She literally does not get along with anybody on the team. And she doesn't. Get- she's very, she almost feels Commissar-esque to their squad. I feel like she wants squad. Augusta's job. She wants to be her own sister superior. But she would not be Probably. good at it because she sucks. Like, she's not she's not a Commissar Kane. You know, if you want to equate her to a Commissar, she's not like Commissar Kane, where everyone would follow and everyone would love, like, you know, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth, sir. She's not that. She's like one of the Commissars from, um, oh, gosh. Uh, Try to think of a book that we've read, but all I could think of is uh, the last Minka Lusk book that I wrote where... The commissars are just a bunch of jerks just out to how many executions do we got today? You know, uh, that's what I feel like Alcina is like. It reminds me a little bit for people who have read the Gone's Ghost series. She reminds me a little bit about Victor Hark when he's first introduced. Hark is actually one of my favorite characters from the Gaunt's Ghost series because he grows into a very interesting role. But he starts off as very much like, I'm here to police things. And I really felt like that was the role that she took. She recognized that squad discipline and had basically crumbled. And so, but she was guilty of it too. And I totally agree with you. I think she is kind of gunning for that position that Augusta has. Like, I I always kind of feel like there's something, she's just kind of waiting for Augusta to slip up because she knows that eventually that's going to happen. And then she'll be the sister superior. And, but I didn't, I don't get like a malintent from her. I just get the impression that she's like, she's just a bitch. You can be a bitch and not have malintent. Yeah. I get the impression that she's just like, "Mm, I could just do it better. But I kind of liked her character in that she always kind of was this voice of reason of like in the very beginning right when because to be fair this whole book could have been skipped had in the very beginning of the book when Augusta asks for the skull and they're like oh you have to stay and Alcina's just like um excuse you give it to us now had they just pressed the issue the whole book could have been skipped and they would have just left and then we wouldn't have had Camilla and it would have been very sad and I would have been very sad however but the movie has to happen but the movie, but I need the movie to happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I thought it was. I, I thought her role. She kind of was this 
uh, voice of reason, but not presented very likably. She actually reminded me a lot. If anyone has seen Sunshine, she reminded me of Chris Evans's character from that, where she's like, I'm just here spitting facts here. Well, no printer. I understand why Gen Augusta Z. didn't push it, because at the same time, like, the sisters are at this weird hierarchy with the ecclesiarchy, so right? Weird. So weird. You know, and if she was accused of being her heretical, you know, it's a very weird line to toe. I think I think 100%. I think she did the best best that she could, and Alcina was totally in the wrong for questioning her in front of them because now you've just undermined, you know, my my authority. Like if you have issues, you talk to me through the Vox or uh, in private. Not right, like Viola even held her tongue. Yeah, I bet she bit it nearly in half. Probably. So let's talk about our other member of this of the squad, which is Camilla. She is a very key part of this book. Were you invested in her story? Did yep. you like her as a character? Yes. Where does she go from here? Um, she's going to be a badass sister of the oh uh, Bloody Rose. Oh my god, is she ever? She um, is. I know. I was amazing. really invested invested in her, um, especially when she. Um, she was having those visions. I thought it was, it didn't surprise me. Other people were having them again. Like I hadn't pieced together the genes the other day. I thought it was, you know, some warp fuckery could be either. Right. Makes sense. But the fact that she was going to go question it. And then she risks herself to go out to the outskirts and then question it. And then sees what's, what happens and stays with the sisters to help the sisters. And then not only that, but then to realize I don't know Jack about fighting. Like everything she's learned has been, it's, she's basically a gladiator, right? She's a good pit fighter. She knows she could hold her own in a fight, but like when it actually comes to fighting, she really only knows about it in a controlled environment. Like, right. Like it, it goes I, back to what Cosmo was saying when yeah. she's just like, Oh, my people train round the clock. Like, yeah. With perfect really, lines of sight. Really enjoyed it when the very first battle happened and she was like, this is not orderly at all. There's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of chaos. People don't know where they are. And she's talking about, you know, the smells and just that everything was under, you know, out of control. And she just mm -hmm. could not f keep up. And I was like, yes, because you guys have not been trained. Exactly. You've been trained inside of a bubble or a vacuum, yeah. which Augusta says to Cosma, right? She's just like, yeah, your people have been trying, training with perfect lines of sight, controlled environments. Like, you know nothing, Jon Snow. And I like that Camilla, I really liked Camilla throughout the entire thing. I thought she was great. But her having to kill Father Arcus, who is essentially her father figure. Oh, man. That, that was, was the start of the tears. Um I knew she was but the done. fact that she was able to do it, the fact that she was like, because she's sitting there pleading with him and then something just clicks in her and she's like, oh, well, she has the workings. It's she was pleading with him. And when he's like, I'm not going to go, I've sinned. And she's like, but I can't leave you to that death. So it was her mercy. Exactly. I thought that was. Which is which would be hard. Oh, I don't know if I could do it. Actually, no, I, this I is your know. father figure. I do know. I couldn't do it. 
It's because I'd be dragging exactly. him with me and then we'd both be dead. That's just how it would probably go. Right. It's a it was a tremendous act that she had to do it, but she also did recognize that he was essentially a heretic. And the strength she shows when they go to take on the archdeacon with her holding up that compass to find Tara, right? That whole scene, that whole scene, by the way, is beautiful and wonderful and chaotic and terrifying, but also just beautifully wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, just the, the strength, like you can just see that click in her of, okay, I'm, this is what I'm part of now and I need to do this. Uh, the fact, her whole story, like what a great protagonist to follow through and to be invested in. And she's such a good dichotomy for augusta who is this older more mature woman who has been doing she's been doing this for a long time like she's not even really phased by any of this and camilla right. is so new to it it's just it's just really a neat it's a neat plot device for lack of better word i agree i loved it all right so let's talk about one of the themes here that we talked touched on a little bit early because there's so much going on here. Corruption and the desperation that it breeds have been a large themes as of late. We read Days of Ascension or Day of Ascension, right? The book that we literally just read with long shot. How are the Tao chipping away at people by promises of amazingness? And the idea that I mean, these people are so downtrodden between the Tau and the Nids, though, I could go with the Tau. No, oh, I mean, at least I wouldn't be yeah. alive. Better to live in a caste system where you're essentially an indentured servant because you're never going to actually, you know, go above right. than to be Eaten. melted down and slurped up a straw. Blech. Like, what book did we we just read a book with the um gosh darn it what was the name of that book it was the book i think it was the book right before a long shot um leviathan. Leviathan. yes it was leviathan you're 100 correct i was trying to think i was like it, it was really recent. yeah it was leviathan this early before the podcast i was like which book is it and i remembered it was right behind me so yes it's live leviathan i mean they describe a tyrannid invasion with the spores, the spores and everything's melting and no thank you no thank you all the way good on that one um so the the caiaphas cane book that i'm on right now is uh the greater good which is the ninth book and it's oh yeah yeah the tau and the tyranids and it's funny because they have got a truce with the tau because the nids are coming and nobody wants the nids. <laughs> nobody even, wants the <laughs> anything of what they're selling. Even the Tau are like, yeah, okay, that shit's crazy. Well, nobody wants the Tau want to be devoured. <laughs> oh, them. They got devoured. Um, Zartak was one of the greatest characters ever. Um, exactly. So nobody wants, nobody wants that. And I, but I think I liked, again, though, they, it's smart. The Popper Princes, the Popper Prince is a very smart Gene Stiller cult, right? Because I even, I believe that the deacon believed in his heart. Yes. Saint is coming. The saint is coming. Yes, 100%. The saint is coming. 
He 100 percent believed that the saint was coming and they were going to ascend because that is like one of the best lies that the Tyranids are, are able to have. And I remember this actually with um, that White Scars book that we read that Robbie McNiven wrote, mm, The mm-hmm. Last Hunt. When they're there with a bunch of Nids and when they kill the the patriarch and then all the people, it's like, you know, the, like the scales fall from their eyes and they're all like, what the hell? These aren't these beautiful angels at all. Like, it's, well, that was in that Imperial Fist book that we read, too, that you and I literally never remember. Fist of the Imperium, I think it's called, by Phil Kelly. Remember, that's like she's talking about no, looking at the patriarch. Oh, Andy Clark. Sorry, not Phil Kelly. Andy Clark. And um, how she, when the, the Magus essentially is looking at the patriarch and, oh, it's her benevolent father. Mm-hmm. And when they kill him, she's like, oh, my God, what happened? And what'd you do? And this kind of, and again, this, this dovetails nicely into our other, and our other conversation about this, which is that you and I both hate the gene stealers. We are not fans of these as, as, as character, as an antagonist or whatever, but God, I actually is, think they were very like, effectively used in this book. This was so good. But it was like Davis, like the day of Ascension. I loved him in that too. That was so great because really what I thought the main thing was, this is like, look at what you guys have done. You have made life so awful for the humans on this planet they think three arms is cool okay like well something can just swoop in there and the fact that and i understand that there's some psychic stuff going on here but yes but at the same time so like well okay so like the deacon he said it's been part of his family for the last 800 years just like okay that makes sense with the generations and everything that is one way that they got in was to you know, talk about you know the the saint when the saint is is going to come and they're all going to ascend that is one way to come in mm-hmm. but then of course then you got the others like out there in the outskirts all the poor people who just yep. just want to eat they're just desperate and hungry and desperation and hunger make people do crazy things this like, is how people turn to chaos, you know, and it was actually yeah. in, it was in the second Donna Fire book, the one that we actually liked, one by, another one by Andy Clark. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When the, when they're happening on those, um, those poor people who would turn to chaos and they're like, but they promised us food. He's like, you should have died instead. Like, well, what kind of choice is that when you're hungry? Exactly. That broke my heart. And while I understand yeah. on the one side, yes, I get what you guys are saying that you should have offered to die instead. But the way they saw it, there was no choice in this matter. They were starving to death. Right. And it just shows it shows the cunning of the Tyranids. And again, we saw that in Leviathan, too, with the preacher who's just like, I am destined for great things and I am going to lead the Cadians to this great victory. And it's not until he gets up in close in person that he's like, oh my God, I got played. I totally got played by the Nids. They, they have this great cunning, especially the gene stealers, right? Because these people totally believe that their saint is coming. And I liked the idea, especially well, when Arcus is talking. There's that same thing I, though, I think love... in Leviathan with the people with the tree. They're talking about oh, yeah. the, the trees. Yeah. The same thing in Leviathan. Yeah. Like they're like, you know, they would just kind of feed in with, with that. Like, oh, look, they're destroying your trees. Well, what were these trees actually doing? Oh, right. <laughs> Harboring nids. Yeah. 
just just a little mid invasion. <laughs> um, there's that, and then I loved when Arcus was talking, and he's just like, "Yep." I have been a coward my whole life and I've been allowing that corruption. And unfortunately, kind of true. I understand that they're using psychic. There's like psyker stuff going on here. But on the other hand, I mean, <laughs> no, no, he has a point. Right. Like, well, they as he's talking about the corruption and the hunger and the lack of weapons and the lack of a life. And well, they just tapped into his own doubts, right? That he always was afraid. You know, when Henrik spoke yeah. to him, that festered a little bit you know, with the doubts. of mm -hmm. Maybe I have been a coward this whole time when I was just trying to keep the peace. And what was I what was I really doing? I was just like rolling over. Right. And there is something to that. But but at the same time, what good would it have would have done to not been a coward and rebel? Y'all would have died. Exactly. Exactly. But you have this little voice yeah, yeah. in your head 100%. now telling you that everything's going to be great. That's where the they, saint the, is returning. The little lictor is just like, oh, I can use this. This is awesome. Or the oh, yeah. I can use this. Chaos. I can use this. Exactly. Like, oh, <laughs> good. So in a lot of ways, the Imperium's kind of its own worst enemy. Oh, 100%. Again, yet again. You, you let these people suffer and they're going to find an outlet for the suffering. Exactly. And I thought like once, once the gene sealers get revealed, I do like that Augusta basically immediately, they don't have to have this long prolonged, what could this be? What could it? She immediately is like, I'm sorry, what? That he had a, he had a curl on his neck. Really? Okay. We know what this is. This is gene stealers. And she immediately goes to, okay, yep. We're dealing with this now. Um, I liked that. And that, remember like when I was saying that earlier, honestly, there's no filler. That scene cracked me up. Cause she's just like, burn them all. It's like, whoa, that escalated oh. quickly. <laughs> that escalated really quickly, but she's not wrong though. No, um, but when she calls him a Xenos and he's just like, what are you talking about? And I was like, did she get it wrong? Because they didn't get angry. He actually was very confused. And to be fair, he probably was confused. He, he probably know. was very confused. You didn't, didn't think he's a gene. I, I always forget that a lot of the gene stealers don't realize that they're gene stealers. Yeah. When they're like, like when some of them are coming at her and she's just like, oh God, it's like fourth generation at this point. Yeah. Oh no, it's not fourth generation. It's a. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. It's a little worse than that, friend. Especially when they talk about um, the size of the patriarch and the magus. I'm like, they've been there a while. Been there a little bit. Well, and I like, again, it just, but, it, it I, goes back to the corruption and the desperation piece of, well, okay, we had to build this new shining city. And our new shining city shouldn't have poor people in it. Especially not with this 804-year big celebration that we have coming up. We need to get rid of the pores and the unsightlies and we need to make sure that they're just kind of contained. So it Again, was one of those self-fulfilling prophecies, right? It brings back my thought of like Jesus in the temporal Jerusalem. This is a house of worship and you turned it into a den of thieves. Exactly. It's just this, you're taking this grand noble legacy. And the thing that's ironic about it, of course, is that to become for the, what the saint did when they describe what the saint did was the ultimate selfless act. Yeah. And uh, now it's marketable. Like, again, like it's just this. 
Exactly. It's this idea <laughs> that okay, because I've been because I have a beer in me. Um, I would like to point out that the Charlie Brown Christmas special, and I don't know if this is big outside of the United States, but like ever since you and I were kids, it comes on every Christmas and it's one of my favorite traditions, even though the entire the entire point of the Charlie Brown Christmas special is that ch- Christmas has become too marketable and it's really supposed to be a religious holiday. Um, that came out like in the late 60s. That complaint is old enough for AARP. Let that sink in for a minute. Anyways. I don't know why you um, need to go there. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize it was as old as it was and I've been watching it. But again, like, even if you think about, like, even if it was new when we were kids, it, um, but, anyways. Okay, yes, but, but again, that yeah. kind of goes back to what I was saying, like, Jesus in the temple, right? Look at Easter. Whether you believe in Christianity or not, you know, for, you know, for a fact that Jesus was crucified. He was real. He was crucified. Ultimate sacrifice for his own people. In Rome, and what have we done? We've made, you know, Easter bunny baskets and Easter egg hunts. And, you know, we got to go get those new Easter dresses for church, right? That's the part. So, like, the Easter baskets and stuff like that, okay, I get it. I understand the history of Easter and how we got, like, the bunnies and the eggs and the symbol of rebirth. And, okay, getting the pagans. I understand all of this. Um, There's, yeah, it's become, and I remember, like, when I was a kid, Easter was super, super, that was still very much a religious holiday. Like, I mean, obviously, you still did the candy and the eggs and the bunnies and all that stuff. But, like, it was still a religious holiday, and now it's become more uh, agnostic. But the point being is that this whole thing, it's like, you used this avarice and this just, like, oh, my God, we're the home of the saints to essentially ostracize these people and again, who knows how long that patriarch was there because the Nids are nothing if not patient. I, and the gene stealers got nothing but time. The long game. The long the game. These guys are... And the lictor will play. That's just crazy. Exactly. Like, these guys are Did so Zeech patient. And I these think... guys? I mean... Think back to the Belisarius call book. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine these how guys long they have... were there to affect... Space Marines. Space Marines. They are playing the long game. So again, and they just, it, much like the Tau, but even more so than the Tau, because the Tau are not playing the long game per se. Oh, no, they just no, have no, to no. show up and throw some propaganda. The Gene Sealers and the Nids, they're playing that long game. And so they just got to let the Imperium do what the Imperium's going to do. And here's one of the things that really killed me about this. So, and I really want to dive into this because it's a little meta. Hmm. The Imperium is obsessed with relics. Obsessed. Um, Only chalices. the people with blood in their name. Order of the Bloody Rose. Blood Angels. No, like the idea of like these, no, these cathedrals. Just the, and... just the blood people. All right, I'll give it to you. <laughs> But they're obsessed with relics. This whole thing kicks off because she wants to go and get the skull, right? First off, was that worth it? Second off, like the cost to get the skull. And are these relics really that important? Or is the emphasis on these relics what leads to these problems? Is it a self-fulfilling prophecy? So I see a lot of this with the relics almost say meta whether it's supposed to be or not on 
Catholicism because excuse you I'm sorry that I'm right because of Catholicism as a former Catholic yes is big on the icons and their own I hate to say idols but it's kind of what they are their own little yep. idols and, and relics and um and they're saints and yes and they're saints and everything so it's interesting commentary on I kind of look at it as interesting commentary on Catholicism and the idea of like these these holy relics. So I kind of have I mean I can see where we want to preserve like, you know, these a body of a saint or whatever. I guess I can I can understand that in many ways. Um gosh, we I mean we do that to this day. Russia says hi with Lenin. Um but but even because Catholics, they don't, no one's gathering to look at the body of St. Francis of Assisi, right? Uh, I think they know where he's buried, and that's just, and maybe he's buried there, maybe he's not. Maybe the badgers got to him, you know, who, who knows, but we're not, you know, celebrating these, the bones. Uh, right. And I think it's also, so to me, it's, it's a, it's like, Looking at Catholicism, a scan of Catholicism, and it's also a commentary on we're holding on to the past so much with the oh, Warhammer well, 40K. And I think, again, going back to Jesus being the reason for the season, um, they, they've lost sight of what the saints are are and also and like and this is one of the big complaints that i know a lot of people have with catholicism is that focus on the saints right like when augusta is looking around and she's like this is not a world that worships the emperor this is a world that worships ferris yes right like this idea yeah, that about, i think it was like the temple right that did not have the emperor but it had saint ferris and she was like and she walks in there and she's like oh my god and like, and I'll even say the Catholics aren't even that bad. Well, <laughs> depends on where you are in the world. Well, um, I mean, they have their statues to the saints, but there is still the giant. You can't miss the giant crucifix in the back. Right. Like, try try to imagine for a moment walking into a Catholic church and instead of having like Jesus at the forefront, you have like Agnes or Michael or Peter. Like, You might have Mary. So that's what I was saying, depending on where you are in the world. Yeah. And that is actually a very hot topic in Catholicism and through Catholic history is the worship of Mary versus. Yeah, I've, but, so I'm not, I am not Catholic. My aunt is Catholic. She's a converted Catholic. And so I have heart. actually questioned this whole thing with, with Mary. And I basically got very stonewalled with responses, to which makes me say that you guys either... Most likely, these people I'm asking don't know the answer and they don't want to know the answer because they don't care. It doesn't matter to them. Or there's because I, I have a hard time believing that there's not a reason why there's got to be a reason why, whether it's been lost over time or whatever. It's just it, it's very interesting to me. The obsession with the mother. Yes. Um. I can't answer that actually. Well, kind of. I can. I can sort of answer that, but not 
No, that's I, a conversation I know the answer time. now. I know the answer now. But like at the right. at the time though, when I was asking, because I was very curious, a lot of questions about Catholicism yeah. when my aunt converted. I was very curious, like why, like what, what called you to this? And well, the answer is actually more superficial than you think. But regardless, I actually do have have the answer. I do know know the answer. Um, right. But but it's not just Catholicism. I think about it, the orthodoxy. Yes. Like but, if you've ever like, been into a Greek Orthodox, like Greek Orthodox temple, or, uh, Jesus is at the center of because so if you've never Orthodox, been into a same thing. Right. If you've never been into a Greek Orthodox church, they're all first off, if you've never been into a Greek Orthodox church, they are stunningly beautiful. Yes, they are. But they all have these domes. And at the center of the dome is always Jesus, but then all of the saints are around them. And so, but again, that's what we see in Warhammer 40K is we always see the emperor and then all of the saints around them, right? Even at, even like with somebody like Celestine, right? Even some of the most devout worlds. Huh? St. Sebastian. Yes, Sebastian even. The emperor is still there with the saints around, right? So the fact that this world has basically, again, though, it comes down to that navel-gazing arrogance of, oh, our world was home to Varys, don't you know? Um, it, it it does, so this, obs- and I think that's, I think that goes back to this obsession the Imperium has with, like, the relics and the saints, and I think it takes on this life of its own, and you can see that in this planet, that they... This planet just kind of fell into the myth of itself and in love with itself. And it's hard to cast too many aspersions there when Augusta is standing there demanding a skull. Like, she's just like, oh, God, they worshipped Varys over the emperor. Anyways, we need to have that skull, though. Like, we need to. We're not leaving without the skull. Yeah. It's, I mean, obviously, she still venerates the emperor over the saints but the fact that you're standing there and you don't just go but they're still mm, demanding oh. a holy relic right exactly but and you're specifically that 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 switch dull the holy relic which okay so i actually could write a whole dissertation on the idea of saints and warhammer 40k because honestly the whole idea with the whole sainthood thing is amazing and oh my god i'm so sorry if y'all can hear that noise um can you hear everything it? good yeah. Yeah. It's a long story. Uh, Fun. Anyway, but no, nothing's about to blow up in my house, I promise. Okay, good. <laughs> that's not a countdown, but anyway, sorry about that. Um, of course, it's happening when I'm talking, right? Of course. Um, when but, else would it happen? But like, I'm so fascinated with the whole idea of the saints because, so they say it's a holy relic. Why is it a holy relic? Because you guys declared this guy a saint, but who declared him a saint? Did the emperor? No. Emperor's... No long comatose i guess i can't say dead but comatose he's been out of commission for a spell he's been busy okay and but it's not like he saw some it's not like celestine okay right you guys are just calling him a saint because he sacrificed himself and that's great because actually leans back to the catholicism sainthood right that's a lot lot of the catholic saints were, were martyrs so, but why is it why is it a why is it a holy relic then? Just because he's a martyr, I. What makes it holy? So it's like all those questions into this, and it just kind of, I don't know, leads into like the whole idea of idolatry, right? What do you guys worship? Oh, hundred percent. What do you guys worship here? 
the emperor or a thing or your own and this goes back to like so piggybacking off that in the real world right like Joan of Arc doesn't become a saint until the 19 until I want to say it's 1930 but it might be 1920 right but it's I think it's Pope Benedict is the one who so it has to be like in the 20s or the 30s he's the one who saints her so Exactly. Like you, it, it totally is idolatry because it's this idea that, okay, so St. Varys gets acknowledged by the ecclesiarchy. And for all we know, like, let's be real for a second here. Joan of Arc basically gets a, acknowledged as being a saint to kind of appease some scholars. Like it was more of like a, yep, she's a saint. I mean, she was it, wasn't, a it wasn't like, right, exactly. But it, like she gets, she gets inducted into sainthood is more of like a Joan of Arc is a saint now, everybody. Okay, excellent. Are we all happy now? Let's go home. Um, it, it wasn't like this. It, and that happens how long after she lived? So St. Varys, same thing. Like this person becomes a saint. And was it really that big of a thing? Or was it later where they were like, oh, yes, that, that person was a saint. And then this planet is just like, our person was a saint. I don't know. They said they had a million saints. So sure Exactly. Sure exactly. But that's... So the one in particular, right? Because that's the one that they latch on to. And that's the one that they're all really... Yeah, I mean, yes, they have like all these different days of different saints first, and stuff. He was the first saint. He was first in the comments. Um, well, and they talk about like having all these other saints uh, that they're celebrating and all of these things. Like it's just... Again, this is where I'm like, sometimes I think the Imperium is its own worst enemy. And again, that was the one thing with Augusta where she's just like, Ugh, honey... You're still on this planet because you want the skull. So clearly there's something, there's some there there. Well, but she's under orders, <laughs> right? Well, right. But she knows that she can't leave without Cause, it. Because she's under orders. Exactly. But the fact that somebody, somebody did this, somebody ordered her to get the skull. Again, there's but some there there. Apparently they dipped in gold. Which, again, if you want to talk about ostentatious, like, there's probably an entire treatise on the use of gold in the Imperium and... Turn my temple into a den of thieves. I'm telling you, I mean, just like... Yeah, this, well, and, this book spoke to me on <laughs> such a level of faith for me. So, anyway. So, I really... Like I loved this book, and I, I don't have that portion of it. I just loved their drive and their faith and just how stalwart the characters were I the entire time. We have badass. We have what I wanted of the sisters of battle. Yes. Okay? God. Yes. Because you know, like there's been this one comment that's been haunting me because I'm stupid. It's been like, you know, got mad at me because I was trashing the sisters. I don't remember what book it was. Pick one. All right. I admit it because I don't like the wrist slashing. I don't. No. And so I didn't, this is again, another book I didn't want to read. And Jen was like, but we need to, because it's a new book and blah, 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 blah. So glad I did. You're welcome. So glad well, that yeah. I was recommended to read the, the Rose at War, because this is a sister faction I can get behind that, that they are badass because all the sisters are badass. I'm not saying that they're not. The sisters are badass. 
But here's one right. that knows they are. And they're well, and not they just, ashamed it, of it. It just gets, and I can't think of the name. Because here's the thing. So a couple of things going on here. Um, <laughs> what was the book? Triumph of St. Catherine. Which is also written by Same Daniel. author. <laughs> Same author. Not as good of a presentation. Now, that was not the Order, not the Order of the Bloody, Bloody Rose. Rose. That was the Order of it our, was martyred, not. our Martyred Lady, the Order of the White Correct. Shroud. All of these orders that are very much... Let's see how much we can slit our wrists and claim we're unworthy today. Exactly that. And I... <sighs> I think this goes back to, and I know that some people disagree with me on this, but I do feel like this goes back to the core of some feminist lit theory, which is that we're deeply uncomfortable. Some authors are deeply uncomfortable and some readers are deeply uncomfortable with women who are just comfortable in their authority, right? Like at the end here, the Canon S, totally comfortable in her power and authority. Augusta questions herself but does not question herself as a warrior, does not question her. She questions her leadership ability. But even then, it's not this, oh, I must just be really bad at this at every turn. Like, it's more of like something happens and she's like, oh, geez, she makes that is mistake. definitely on me. She makes a mistake. She's like, God damn it. I'm better than this. Exactly. Thank and she honey. recognizes her mistakes. And that's okay. That's actually makes her even stronger because she can acknowledge her wrongdoing. She can acknowledge her feelings, but keeps moving on. She doesn't just go, eh. I'm done. Um, and I think, again, that vanity level of the girls who are just like, oh, I just am going to throw myself at martyrdom rather than actually helping people or doing something useful with my life. Um, I liked how strong these characters were. And I'm totally with you on that because the Triumph of St. Catherine, I, God, and because I've read all of the rose, the short stories that are in the Rose of War. I've read those. So the whole time we were reading that book, I was like, what happened? Like where where did those ladies go? Um and then the uh the Justin Hill one. Pilgrims of Fire. That was good. Yeah, that one was that yep. one was okay. It and was, then there's the no. Peter Ferrari book, which we don't talk about ever at all, okay. ever, ever, well, ever. So Pilgrims of Fire was good. We even discussed this that it was good until that one sister who couldn't get over playing Mary in the Christmas pageant decided to go repentia. Yeah. And so her mouth shut because sure. <laughs> I can't handle that one. Um, no, you sew anything shut, eyes, mouth. No, I can't deal with it. E. Snyder's Strangeland is not a good movie. It's actually quite terrible. But um, that her her mouth being... I don't know why, man. That's that's one of those things that I'm just like, yeah, thank you. I'm out. Um, but we do see a lot of... And then there was the... Uh, it's sitting over here and I could dig it out, but I don't want to. Um, the book by Rachel Harrison, Mark of Faith. That lady. There's just a lot to be frustrated with with the Adeptus Sororitas. And I feel as though they don't often get used. But, you know, the thing about it is, and you mentioned this earlier, I think the Order of the Bloody Rose is just, I mean, it's in their name. Yeah. Bloody. They're militant. They ain't got time well, for that. So there's been like a couple of times that I've run into them, like outside of this, like Darius Hink's uh, Mephiston trilogy. Mm. We run into uh, the Battle Sisters. No idea what order they're in. You don't really get to know them or anything. They come out, bolter swinging. And that's how 
I was like, this is awesome that these, you know, literal nuns with guns coming out here and taking care of business. This is great. And then I start reading some Adeptus Sororitas books, like The Mark of Faith. Like, right. Um, Hermit St. Catherine, I'm like, are they always like this? Or they just, like, feel like they're unworthy and some bullshit? Like, I, I, I where are the nuns with guns? They don't get used well. And, maybe, and this book was a triumph. And, and I'm already hearing this one commenter from back when I reviewed video games telling me I need to go play COD, you little kid, because I, I like the nuns with guns. But the thing is, that is my idea of a strong woman. Not just the nuns with guns, but this woman that just takes charge and just does it and doesn't whine about it. And isn't constantly questioning, am I worthy? Am I worthy? And because again, because as I there. said, with a lot of that, a lot of if that repentious. That's the thing frustrating. If you believe the emperor, this is all in his will, right? You believe this is all in his will and that he, he decides you're worthy. Stop it. Because he, he, he put you there. Just stop. Well, and again, that stuff goes around the horn to being very vain and very self-centered and being unable to look outside of yourself. So it's actually a, a, an extreme weakness of character. So, yeah, the fact that and it's not even the fact that they fight and they're like, oh, yeah, they got guns and stuff and Viola's got the heavy bolter. That's not really it. It's, it's that, that they, they face whine. down these if they don't whine and they face down these horrors just as you do. That is what they are here for. Um, I really, really liked what she did with this book. This book was a uh, triumph, uh, but not like, of Saint Paris. Even the, the Rose at War, when there wasn't like a bunch of fighting, they were still pretty badass. Yeah, they're just strong characters, and Augusta knows her weaknesses. She questions yes. them a little bit, but not in a not in a self-aggrandizing way or a self-centered type of way. I just, this book was really good. I really loved the characters. I loved what she did with the sisters. And I, I, I told you, like, I got to the end of this book and I was like, oh, thank God, finally. This is what I want to see with the sisters. This idea of, because the cool thing about them is that they are this beacon to humanity, right? They like the people who see them fall to their knees and are begging them to like bless them or forgive them or something. And the idea that they so they're a beacon to humanity, right? They have these good weapons in this armor, but they're still human. They can still get scared. They can still be affected by the hive mind, right? Like we saw that with Akemi when she's down on the, when she's asleep, right? And she's kind of like Yeah. When they talk about her hissing like steam, I was like, oh no. Are they going to have to old yeller her? They do um, not. Huh? They do not. Thank they God. don't. She makes it. Thank so, God. But what was that one book we read? It might have been Pilgrims of Fire, where it was that penal legion. Yes. It was Pilgrims of Fire. The Kim dogs. Yes. And the sisters are there singing, and it gets them all riled up. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. They're awesome. They are... They are the female answer to the space marines. Um, just obviously with the devoutness on there. And I also did like, and I don't know how to say this, but I do feel that sometimes the sisters get portrayed as being just a little too devout um, and a little too unquestioning in their faith. And these ladies didn't really feel like that. No. Yes, they show up and they're just like, yeah, you guys let the poor people starve to death. And more importantly, you also... 
um, you're worshiping your saint over the emperor. And um, they have that portion of it, but they're not constantly, constantly touting it. So where I cried was at the end, it's page 293. Okay. And anyone who has been a Christian or has dealt with any religious faith understands this is when Camilla is like asking why why does he permit such atrocity and betrayal why do good people why do they perish in agony and the hospital says do not apologize for your questions do not apologize for seeking him or for seeking meaning many of my sisters have come to their faith through their questions found understanding and compassion that is when I cried well, I just liked the idea because that the, again, it goes back to what we said to begin with. They're not fanatics. No, it's like this whole idea of faith. And it's like, you know, and it's actually something that, you know, as Christians, we ask all the time, how can you believe in this when there's so much suffering in the world? And it's like, I don't have an answer for that. And I'm, and I love this because I'm like, I'm, I'm not supposed to, because that's a, that's a higher calling. And I don't have to have the answers because I don't speak for him. It's like, we just know that this is, you know, you can find your faith in asking these questions. And it's like an Augustine, he says, never apologize for the tests that you have, that have made you a warrior. But with that suffering, but without that suffering, you will never find true strength. And well, that is, yeah. So that is when I started like wiping tears in public and a goddamn Starbucks. Um, for me, it was just the end, the whole end sequence when she's like, oh, I want to raise Camilla to be a sister. And just the way the canoness is talking, right? And she's just like, you will go forth and you will carry the flag into the stars. It's like, oh my God, you're the first person from your planet who was worthy. Like, yeah, I, I'm ready for the next book. Like, cause, same. Because uh, uh, Camilla needs to be in her squad now, right? Malia, because yeah. Malia, oh my God, and I, Malia, we didn't I, talk about Malia, but oh my God, I can't go there yet, especially because I think she's the one who's on the cover oh, alongside she Viola. She is, that and is um, because she's got the flamer, justice for Malia. Loved that character. Yeah, um, man, she went down swinging. Oh my God, yes. Mm. Yes, but in a compassionate way because she goes down. Um, trying to save Arcus. God. Like, trying to with, save the man who with, cannot be saved at this point. the patriarch is, like, right there. Like, there was no saving this guy. You can't do that with the patriarch right there. But she still tried. And this goes back to... So I think I've mentioned this before, but in Firefly, there's an episode, I think it's the Janestown episode, where River gets hold of the Bible and she's trying to fix it. Right. And this, again, I say this as an atheist, she's trying to fix it. And she's just like, well, this doesn't make sense. And this doesn't make sense. And this doesn't make sense. And the shepherd is talking to her and he's just like, look, faith is about believing in something. It's about believing in something that will change your life. And his quote that I love is you don't fix faith. It fixes you. And so I felt like she was embodying that and living that in that moment. <laughs> just... This idea of let me, like, you need 
to come back to your faith because I mean it works on Camilla right with the sisters of battle she's just like oh my gosh it's the sisters of battle and that's what brings her back into the moment yeah. faith fixed this is you. her I, I love that and it just it that was one of those quotes from that show where I was like oh man that's just good stuff um man. but wow again it just oh my god every character in so this like book that. and I I will insist on us reading whatever is the next short story that comes out in this series. I will insist on us reading it and like at least doing like a little quickie episode on it because I'm so invested in all of these characters right now. Shit, I needed that quote. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get you no, in the feels tonight. A, I even tweeted about this. I was like, you know, because I think we all have crises in our own faith, whether whether you're atheist or you're Christian or Jewish or whatever. You have your own faith in things. Totally. And this just spoke to me like on that level. And that's why I cried. It just, it, I've just kind of had my own crisis of faith. And this just really spoke to me. It was just so beautiful. So I'm absolutely s- beautiful. The I'm whole so thing. glad. I'm just glad that it turned out to be a really good sister's book. And I feel really bad for the next book because unlike, so, Okay. This book you weren't looking forward to, but I super was looking forward to. This next book, I don't know. I actually don't know how you feel about this next book. But it's it's got really... So after we read Longshot, we were like, oh man, this next book's got big shoes to feel. And this did. Um, Phil, not feel, don't feel the shoes. Um, this next book, I'm really not looking that forward to it. Well, I mean... We are, in fact, reading the Ashes of... Creed, Ashes of Cadia. So, um... um Okay, so I was first reading... Oh, and by the way, Carrie, for the record, it gave me a ribbon bookmark. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you better use that. You're not going to... Uh, obviously, I am. No, my husband would. You're the corners in your book like the... Not if they give me a ribbon bookmark, like okay? even evil person you are. So anyway, oh, wow, there's a short... Wait. There's a short story in this, too. Okay. Um, okay. So and it will. I was looking forward to this because I thought this was going to be. M- so, if you've read Cadia's Stance, you know about Creed and his command and him trying to get people off to get the word out. And everything. Mm-hmm. So I thought that's what this was going to be about. God damn it. it was no, about it's about does. his child. I don't care about his damn child. daughter. Well, you need to get on board because Ursula Creed is pretty awesome. Okay, the fall of Creed. The fall of Creed. <laughs> the fall of Cadia, which I know comes out for. To be me. fair, Creed did fall too. <laughs> he broke when the planet did. Anyway, um,. The Fall of Cadia, which I believe is coming out for the masses next month. I'll be reading. That better be about Ursicar Creed, not Ursula Creed. Because, okay, fine. Mr. Reed, what did you have to say for 400 pages about his daughter? Like, I'm curious. And yet not. I, okay, I'm not going to lie. I looked at the page count of this book and was like, because we ordered the book and I was like, oh, okay. And then it showed up and I was like, hmm, hmm, this is a lot of book. And um, 
I am just really more looking forward to the Robert Rath book. Now, having said that, we have not read a book by Jude Reed, so I'm excited about it and I'm cautiously optimistic. It's nothing against the author himself or herself. Himself? I don't actually know off the top of my head right Jude? now. Um, and Jude is a unisex name. But is it? I uh, never heard it for a girl. Uh, I knew a Jude. It was short for Judith, but oh. um, because Judith is a 65-year-old woman working towards her pension, and this woman was younger. Um, but it's nothing against him, oh, the author. It's, shit. I just... It is a girl. Oh, lives well, in, shit. Lives in Glasgow with her husband and two daughters. I am sorry, Jude. I am so sorry, Jude. I t told you. She's probably a Judith. Oh, my God. She's a surgeon. As you do. I yeah. mean, who isn't a surgeon? And what little free time she has, she enjoys tabletop role-playing, taekwondo, and climbing big hills. So she already has a better life than I do. <laughs> the taekwondo surgeon. I love it. Um, yeah, who writes Warhammer 40k on this side. Again, as you do. Um, I'm really excited now. Okay, no, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still cautiously optimistic for it. I'm just not looking forward to it because I am Lucadians. I have weird feelings on the Cadians, you guys. So, but again, if this one turned my feelings around on the sisters, I have high hopes. You like Longshot? Like Longshot. Um, yeah. And I'm, so and I'm enjoying the Minkalesque trilogy. So, oh, good. You know, maybe we'll like these Cadians. Mayhaps. It's Ursula Creed. We're going to find out. The but sad thing is, I just don't care about the guy's daughter. Well, maybe this will be the book that makes us care. And we're going to have to eat our words at the end of this. Actually, so we're going to be like, he oh, had a daughter. He didn't mention it at all in Kitty Stands. He has a daughter, Ursula. Why did you hate your kid? Not to be mistaken. Because maybe they were big James Bond fans. Well, I mean, his name, I know what it is, is his name is Ursacar. So he's like, yeah. let's name her the after female me. Firm. What is her name? Ursula Andrus? Yeah, Ursula Sandra, Andrus. Ursula um, Creed. Yep. Sorry your parents hated you and named you Ursula. It's a terrible name. It's very German. Anyways, all I think do you want of, to take us out, Carrie? Sorry, all I think of is Little Mermaid. That probably kind of ruined the name Ursula for me and like every other Gen X person out there. I was just thinking of Ursula Andress in that bikini from whatever friggin' James Bond movie that is. I have no idea, but I admit I haven't seen every single James Bond movie and don't remember every single one of them. It's one of the Sean Connery ones, is it? I only know two Sean Connery ones. I think it's Dr. No. My husband would know right off the top of his head because she's wait, very he, attractive. Wait, he also did Goldfinger, right? Sean Connery, he did Goldfinger? Okay. Is that the one with Pussy Galore? Here's the thing about James Bond. I know all the James Bonds. I, I, I roughly know them. I roughly know if you say a movie, I generally am like, oh, I think that's this era. Um can't tell you shit about any of them because I don't like James Bond and they are all one movie. So my parents watched all the time Octopussy and Never Say Never Again. Those are both Sean Connery. So I don't think Ursula was 
and those and the other one i never saw dr no but i did see if goldfinger is one with pussy galore then i know i've seen that whatever because pussy galore is with odd job i think that was goldfinger uh it might be yes i don't know i know moonraker oddly i know moonraker really well um who was that i know yeah it's a roger moore one that's one with jaws one of the ones with jaws um obviously i know the daniel craig ones and i know the um here's the thing of I've, <laughs> here's never seen, the I've never seen a single daniel daniel craig james bond unfortunately i've seen them in the theater because i went i, I love my husband like the um, the last james bond movie i saw was the last pierce brosnan movie it was the world is not enough Okay, so see, here's the thing about the Pierce Brosnan's ones. I'm going to have to look these up because I know that there's Goldfinger, there's The World Is Not Enough, he did not and there. Sorry, Golden Eye. Yes. Sorry. The other the other gold one. See, I told you they're all the same friggin' movie to me. But there's, um, wait, it's The World Is Not Enough. Tomorrow Never Dies. Tomorrow Never Dies. Okay. And Die Another Day. Dino, yes, but World is Not Enough yes. is the last one that he did, and that was the last one I saw because I turned to my friend mm. in the theater. I Another Day is the last one he Okay, did. well, the last one I saw was The World is Not Enough because I turned to my friend and I said, I'm done. Die Another Day, the only reason I remember that that was his last one and that that one's the one that takes place in the early aughts is because that's the one with Halle Berry where she's Jinx, and that's mm. the one where Madonna put out that friggin' banger song die another day and it's probably the last new madonna song that i really dug um and i always remember that that was the early aughts okay again because i had to go see it in the husband in the theater with my husband i'm sure that everyone was super excited to know our love affair with james bond or complete and total lack thereof now i will say i do have a very special place in my heart for the timothy dalton james bond movies oh my god my those are actually my husband's favorites and um is in Living Daylights I, and I like the Living Daylights and oh not just God, because again awesome song. Don't remember. And also Timothy Dalton. Uh Timothy underrated. Dalton got so underrated, He's an underrated in general. Actor. Great actor. Uh he is yeah, amazing. I loved him as a voice in Toy Story 3. I love him in the Rocketeer. Um Oh yeah, that's a good one too. License to kill. Thank you. Yes, License to Kill. That's right. You're welcome. Every now and then. Every now and then the squirrel moves a little faster on the wheel. But in many ways, you're right. They're all the same movie. They're all the same movie. I'm sorry. They all are. It just is the variation on the theme. Now, before any snarky person comes in and is just like, but aren't the Warhammer books almost all the same book? Yes. Don't be rude. <laughs> Want to take us out, Carrie? We cannot like one thing and still like another. It's okay. I mean, are all the Assassin's Creed game the same? Yes. Do I play every single one of them? And? <laughs> What's your point? Don't make it weird. Yeah, seriously. It's like asking D&D players, isn't it the same game every time? What's your point? Yeah, what's your point? You're ruining our beer time. This is what we do with our friends. God. Seriously, you're right. Don't make it weird. <laughs> it's okay. We're making it weird for you. 
So you've listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding The Rose and Darkness by Dany Ware. Be sure to join us next time for Creed Ashes Acadia by Jude Reed. We are... See, now I'm wondering if Jude is pronounced Jude or Judy because of... Anyway, I'm a terrible person. Y'all can tell me in the comments. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those wonderful things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books, short stories, and Warhammer TV episodes outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crag. I got nothing, so good night, everybody. I need to check the Packers score because I'm sure that they've lost. Get your child to deliver you a McDonald's smoothie for dinner because they just now got dinner because she's getting back from marching band football game. Very exciting stuff over here. This is what we do. Oh, my God. (laughs) This is what we do. We podcast. This is what we do. And we're loser moms. What do you want from us? Basically, yeah. That's what I'm going for for Halloween. I'm going as a mid-40s woman, probably holding a beer, walking, handing out candy. I mean, I even hand out candy this year. I might just throw it at them. Especially if any adults come to my door again. I'm throwing it at them. That stuff is just weird. Like, if you're with your kid and you're trying to be, like, silly. Okay, great. Anyways. Good night, everyone. (laughs) Good night. Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.